Welcome to Down There Aware, a podcast bringing attention to gynecologic cancers in women's healthcare. Disclaimer We cover many topics which some may find uncomfortable, and while we feel it is an important conversation to have, we understand it may not be for everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Down There Aware. I'm Alex. And I'm Mary, Alex's mama. And today with us, we have a special guest. Jennifer Clark is the Director of Graduate Programs at Florida State University's College of Business. She's lived in Tallahassee and worked at FSU in various academic advising and administrative roles since the spring of 1999 after having earned her Bachelor of Science in Elementary Education at the University of Central Florida in December of 1998. Jennifer and her husband, Paul, have been married since 1991 and have two children, Liam, who's 24, and Katrin, who's 18. As Paul prepares to retire and Liam has recently moved out of the home, they're currently condoing their slowly emptying nest and preparing for the next phase of their lives. Thanks for joining us today, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, of course. If you want to just tell us a little bit of your story, um, and then we can get into asking some questions about, um, you know, what, what your experience has been. Um, well, as I mentioned, uh, my husband and I married in 1991, and um, we, you know, waited a couple of years before we started trying to start a family because we wanted to kind of settle in and everything. Um, and then we started to try and and have a, a child, and it took a little while um, to to get pregnant. And then, you know, when I found out I was pregnant, I was really excited, and I was, uh, you know, I had. I read a book called Spiritual Midwifery, which is which was written by a midwife who was in a commune, and I was all about you know the natural childbirth and all of that, and super excited and super hippie mama. Um, and then about 12 weeks into the pregnancy, I went for my regular checkup, and uh, there was no heartbeat. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, eventually it turned out that there was you know no longer a baby, a viable baby. So. Um, I, they sent me for a DNC, uh, and, and I, uh, went through that. And then, um, about a year, you know, they said that I should wait, um, a few months before we started trying again. Uh, and we did, I can't remember how long they said I needed to wait, but once we started trying again, it took almost a year before I was able to get pregnant again with my son. Um, and, uh. And then I did get pregnant with him and uh, I had pregnancy complications, but eventually he was born and he was okay. (laughs) So, um, and then I went on and had my daughter in 2002. So um, I was able to eventually have two babies. Um, I since found out that I I found out like five years ago that I have fibroids, um, which is, it turns out probably contributed to a lot of the issues that I've had over the years. Um, And I had a hysterectomy last summer which is the best thing I've ever done. (laughs) I'm glad I was able to have my kids and I'm glad that I was, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm done with it anyway. Let's just go ahead and be done with that part. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that was really good. So, yeah. So during your first pregnancy that you lost, were there any warning signs that you saw at all that would give you any indication that the pregnancy was no longer viable? 
Not really. Like I said, I was just at my regular checkup, so I didn't even really, you know, think that there was anything going on. Um, and it was so, you know, it was 12 weeks is still pretty early, so I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't expecting to have any flutters or anything like that yet. So um, it was actually kind of a shock because I didn't really have any kind of indications. Um, later on, uh, I had had a, an un you know, I had, I missed a period once when I was 19 and I didn't think anything of it. I, I mean, I was scared that I was pregnant because it was not, it would not have been a desired pregnancy. And then I had a really heavy period the following month. And when I had the miscarriage, um, in what turns out to be the second time, the midwife said that that first time was probably also a miscarriage, um, oh. because, you know, you don't just skip periods. <laughs> you know, yeah. so she said she said that second month uh, when I had a heavy period would probably have been a miscarriage as well. Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, you know, I really wasn't expecting anything. Didn't didn't kind of know that I had anything going on down there. <laughs> so, so when um, you had you went for your checkup, your twelve week checkup, and you were told <laughs> the pregnancy wasn't viable that. Um, there was no heartbeat. Can you share a little bit about um, how you dealt with that emotionally? Um, and if your doctor really, or your midwife paid attention to that aspect of the miscarriage? Yeah. Um, so emotionally it was, it was pretty devastating, um, honestly, at the time, because we had, you know, like I said, my husband and I waited to try and have children. Uh, and then, so there had been a lot of kind of, Build up. Once we decided we were going to try, and then it took a little while, and then you know we were just really excited uh, and ready to start our family. And so, um, and then when you know I just I I went to a regular appointment thinking it, everything was normal, and it turned out that it absolutely wasn't. Um, I kind of you know I kind of shut down a little bit. Um, I have a tendency to uh, have to try and kind of just be an escapist. Um, and so instead of, you know, and especially at the time I was so young that I didn't, you know, I didn't really think about, I should face these emotions and I should deal with this, you know, logically. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we went to Target and we bought a bunch of board games and we went to the movies and we did everything that we possibly could to just try and distract ourselves just, and yeah. not yeah. think about it. Um, and then, you know, and so the midwife, I think when we discussed it, she you know, she just told me, she gave me a lot of the statistics about how common it actually is. Um, I think it was something like one in three pregnancies or something mm -hmm. like that actually in, in miscarriage. And I wasn't aware of that. And um, that was, that was helpful. I thought just knowing um, that, you know, because, you know, immediately you start to think, well, is there something I did wrong? Did I eat right. something wrong or anything like that? Even though I have, you know, I was being super clean about everything. Um, so it really helped, you know, to not allow me to go down that rabbit hole of, you mm -hmm. know, what could I have done differently? Um, uh, but I don't, you know, I don't really remember a whole lot of the midwife was just very kind of pragmatic about it. And this is what happens. And, um, you'll probably go on to have another baby and, uh, you know, uh, the one thing that she did say that I that was a little upsetting to me was, um, you know, had this pregnancy gone on, there probably would have been some kind of problem. That's mm. why miscarriages mm. happen. So, yeah. you know, I was like, oh, you know, um, so, 
but I think that was pretty much the extent of the discussions we had. So what about your um, physical recovery after the DNC? Um, did you have any complications or how did that go? You know, I didn't really have any complications immediately after the DNC. Uh, but as it turned out, when I finally got pregnant with my son, Liam, uh, I found out pretty early in the pregnancy that I had placenta previa. Oh. Um, and the doctor at the time told me that the fact that I had had a DNC with the previous miscarriage could have contributed to that because if there's any kind of scar tissue or anything on your uterus, um, it, you know, the placenta sometimes will have a tendency to grow there. And so um, they said that that might have been it. And that was a total placenta previa. I had bed rest for six months wow. from the time I found out about it and a scheduled C-section and everything. It was really scary. Um, but, you know, I... I never did have a rupture or anything like that. It, it, it was really good that they caught it so early. Mm -hmm. um, and they kept, you know, every time I went to the doctor, they were like, well, it might move. Well, it's not really moving. <laughs> so. Kind of holding your breath every time you go. Yeah. And walking on eggshells, literally. Like, I, you know, I'd get up to go to the bathroom and I would tiptoe just. <laughs> uh, that, yeah. that had to have been the longest six months. It was pretty crazy. You know, my husband was working at the time, so he would go to work during the day and I had a little uh, a little routine of, you know, and at the time this was in 1996. So we had our laptop that was like, it was like the size of a microwave or something. <laughs> <laughs> a few little games I would play and I had mm. lots of puzzle books and other books and TV shows that I would, you know, I just had kind of a routine I went through every day and uh, until he came home and then uh, you know, it was good when he came home and he's an engineer. So of course the first thing he did was try to think of ways to, uh, to counteract gravity. And so he put something under the bottom of the bed to make the bottom of the bed higher than the head of it so that I would, you know, <laughs> hmm. so, you know, it was, we just, we got through it eventually. And then, and then, uh, the day of the surgery came and everything worked out. So, um, when you went in at your 12 week checkup, were, was your pregnancy um, something you had talked about with others already? Had you shared that you were expecting? And yeah, yeah, that was that was really hard because we had immediately when we found out we were pregnant, we you know blasted it to the world and we were so excited and we told everybody and um, and then you know when that happened, it mm. was you know we, you know we we tell everybody that we think to tell and then you know, you run into somebody that knew you were pregnant and you hadn't seen them in a while. And they're like, Hey, how's it? And you have to, you have to go. You have to say it again. Mm. Right. So when I got pregnant with Liam, we didn't tell anybody for uh, several months. I, mm. I think it was three months, you know, and we were just kind of waiting um, before we told anybody and we didn't buy anything. Like I had started on the nursery and everything with the first baby. So we didn't, buy anything or do anything until 12 weeks was passed. Yeah, yeah. And, and were there any reactions of others that um, helped you, you know, when you shared with them that you'd lost the baby? Uh, just so, you know, I think it might help other people who are listening to know what, what helps when that mm -hmm. happens to you, you know, what reaction really helps you? 
I think the reactions that were the most helpful to me were from other women who had had miscarriages. Uh, um, and, you know, maybe it's misery loves company and, you know, you don't want to, <laughs> you don't want to put a positive to someone else telling you their experience, but it's, it just, it helps to talk to other people who've gone through the same thing. And especially, um, you know, women who had children and had been through mm. miscarriages and, you know, I could see that they had, had gone through the same thing and they did, they were able to have children and, and it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the end of the world. Um, so yeah, I think that was, that was probably the most helpful just having, you know, a community of people who said, yeah, I went through the same thing. Yeah. And it gives you hope at that point. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, um, with your loss, did you have any kind of ritual or remembrance that you um, chose to to acknowledge that loss um, or to remember it at year after year? Or did you just choose to um, kind of let it lie? Yeah, I didn't. Um, and I, you know, and I, I, I thought about that and I wondered kind of why I didn't. And it might have been... Um, I think it was just because I had such a tendency to try and distract myself and forget about it because it was, mm -hmm. you know, it was so shocking and upsetting that, and then I just got in the habit of that, you know, and, mm -hmm. and by the time I got uh, to where it was feeling better and I was thinking about the next baby, it was really, it was really that. And so I imagine if uh, I had been further along in the pregnancy and had actually started to think about the child and the person that that child would have become, um, it would have been, you know, I probably would have been a lot more inclined to, to do, you know, to have some sort of a ritual or naming or anything like that. But I guess mm -hmm. because it was so early, I just didn't, you know, I was excited about being pregnant, but I wasn't really thinking in terms of this being, um, you know, my child yet. Right. Right. So early. Is there anything well, you would do differently that you can look back and think about? Yeah, well, if I knew what I know now about the fibroids uh, that yeah. I had, you know, everything, I would certainly be more, have been more realistic about my chances and, and patient with myself um, and, and with the whole, you know, with the whole situation. Um, it probably would have helped, you know, obviously would have helped to, to know more about, because like I said, I didn't find out until, until it was time to figure out whether or not to do a hysterectomy that I had five points. Mm. <laughs> you know, wow. I just, you know, you just live with something for so long that, mm. you know, I, it didn't, it seemed normal to me and mm. you know, never really was anything that was bad enough for me to go to the doctor about. Um, I just thought this is how, you know, this is how things are. Mm. So um, I guess, you know, if I could go back and do it again, it would just, it would just be, you know, knowing, knowing about it and, um, uh, and, you know, having that mindset of, of yeah. more of a realistic idea. Yeah. So what, um, with your fibroids and when you eventually got to the point where, um, you know, you talked to your doctor and decided on having a hysterectomy, what got you to that point? What symptoms were you having or what, um, were you experiencing that kind of pushed you over that edge to talk to your doctor about it? Um, you know, I was having, 
Um, a lot more pain. I, so I turned 50 this year. And so I was starting to be perimenopausal for over the last two or three years. I was having hot flashes and I was still having regular periods, but um, they were getting heavier and more painful. And then I was also having pain like, you know, other times of the month besides just my, my cycle. Um, and um, I'm trying to remember kind of what the straw that broke the camel's back was. It's, it, you know, it was really, I think, just being tired of, of being in pain all the time. Um, but the, the way that I found out about the fibroids was I went to ask about um, uh, a procedure. My doctor had recommended a procedure where they actually go in and kind of um, uh, it's called an ablation. That's what it is. Um, and they had recommended that. And they said that that might help just kind of, you know, calm everything down while you're waiting for menopause. And I went to see about getting an ablation. And that was when they, they found the fibroids and said, we can't do an ablation because of this. And, mm. and at the time they said, but, but we can do a hysterectomy. I was like, oh no, that seems pretty extreme. I don't want to <laughs> do that. Uh, and then about a year later, I was like, um, yeah, let's go. Ahead that. <laughs> that actually sounds like a really good idea. Mm. <laughs> so what was your initial hesitation with the hysterectomy option? You know, I'm a hippie. <laughs> I really, I really have always felt like, you know, I want to, I want to eat naturally. I want to live as naturally as I can. Um, you know, I, I felt like, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't feel like it was necessary to do something that went against what my body was naturally doing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and, and also I had, I had done a lot of reading and had done a lot of thinking about sacred womanhood, that kind mm-hmm. of thing, like the, you know, the, the, the spiritual significance of a woman's cycle and, and how it relates to her, her life and her emotions and everything. I, you know, I was very kind of all tied up in, into that. And so it was, it was hard to accept the idea that, you know, this, this organ that I had that had eventually successfully created a couple of kids um, was, was something I just didn't need anymore and should get taken out. It just seemed like mm-hmm. kind of an extreme reaction. Um, but eventually, and I guess, you know, I'm getting more pragmatic, the older I get, I was just like, you know, that's all fine, but this hurts and I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of, um, one of our recent episodes, we talked with a cancer survivor who she said she never wanted to have children. It was never something she wanted, but when it came time to have a hysterectomy, she really in that same vein that you were talking about was like, but it's a major organ and it's a part of me and I don't want to let it go. And so, you know, it's definitely, I think that's uh, a really important thing to remember that yes, it might not be as useful as your lungs per se, but it's still a part of you. Right. Right. I have a dear friend right now who is struggling with um, endometriosis and Mm. just all kinds of awful, awful pain. And she's 38 and she's like, you know, she's at that point where she needs to decide if she wants to have kids, but she also just has this horrible pain all the time. And I'm biting my tongue because I don't want to say anything about, I think you should just maybe cut your losses. And, yeah. you, know, mm-hmm. you know, I just, I, I don't know how soon she would be thinking about having a child. And I, I have this sense that it would be really, really hard for her. 
uh, but that's not a piece of advice that I'm going to offer. It really, it's such a personal decision, um, you know, unless there's an emergent reason for it. But uh, if, if you have that decision to make, it's, it's hard for anybody else to really advise you because it's a very personal decision to make. And a hysterectomy is radical. It's a huge, huge thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I know um, for me, because they didn't want me to go into menopause um, and you said you were so close to menopause, did they go ahead and remove your ovaries as well included in the hysterectomy or did they save your ovaries? They saved the ovaries. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They said that there really wasn't any reason there wasn't any, um, you know, the problem wasn't with my ovaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, so they, they went ahead and saved them. Um, And they said that when they did the blood test and everything, they said that I actually was in menopause, even though I hadn't stopped having periods, which I thought Mm. was strange, but Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, they just left those, which is good. And really the, you know, the only, um, the only, symptoms I was having other than emotional craziness was um, Mm. hot flashes. And I ended up going on Effexor for that, which I've never really taken antidepressants long term. Uh, But they they've said that they have found that antidepressants actually help with hot flashes. So I went on uh, about a year ago and it really helped and has made a huge difference. Um, And yeah, I just haven't had any negative reproductive related symptoms in for the first time in my life in the last oh, year. That's so, awesome. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what would you say if, you know, someone was going through your same experience, um, you know, with the, um, desire to have a child, but, uh, having miscarried early on having complications with fibroids, um, what would you say to them? Um, I guess I would, suggest that they really maybe spend a lot of um, time trying to find a really a, a, either an obstetrician or a gynecologist or a midwife or somebody that they really can develop a good relationship with that they feel like they could have a long-term uh, relationship with because I you know when I grew up, we didn't really go to the doctor that much. And I'm still the kind of person where I need to be on my deathbed before I'm going to go to the doctor for anything. I just don't really enjoy it all that much. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of recognized I've had, you know, I've been with Dr. Ness now for 20 years since we've lived in Tallahassee. And it's, it, you know, I've, I've recognized the benefit of having someone who knows your medical history and knows mm-hmm. your situation individually. Um, and I've had, you know, various issues come up over the years where it's been nice to know that they know what's going on with me. So I would probably just, that would be my advice is find somebody that you really can click with that can go on that journey with you that knows all the ins and outs and can, can give you the advice that you'll trust because, um, there's, it's so, you know, it's so easy to, um, allow yourself to get, to be confused by all the different things that people say and all the different things you see on the internet and all the different things that your emotions are telling you. And, um, so I think that would probably be my, my best advice for that. I think that's great advice. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we've talked about on this podcast before that you can have the same condition or disease uh, that someone else has, but because of your history, 
um, because you're an individual, it might be treated differently. So I think having that doctor who knows you and has known your um, history, your medical history, that's sage advice because they're the ones who really are helping you make a decision and they can't make a, an informed decision if you don't share uh, with them. So I, I think right. that's awesome advice. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. I think it's great. Um, so one last question, because your um, miscarriage was several years ago, how has, if at all, the passage of time um, affected your recovery, both physically and emotionally? Oh, gosh, it's been so long. It's been 25 years. So um, honestly, it's it's really, it's not something I think about very often, honestly. Um, it, I feel like um, because I was able to have two beautiful children, and that's been my focus since they were born, I just kind of went on with, with everything and, 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 you know, raised my kids and my husband and I have been married now 29 years. And um, so I've just kind of been going about my life and enjoying my cats and my garden, my family. (laughs) And, um, you know, I just, every, I don't, I, I don't really think about it unless it comes up. And then I remember, you know, the, the situation, but the passage of time has been completely healing, I guess, as far as that's concerned. Well, I think that really gives hope to a lot of people, you know, as we go through um, this month, which is pregnancy and infant loss, um, you know, it helps people know that it does get better and that, you know, with the passage of time that you can heal. And I'm sure in the beginning it um, was much more present. And like you said, you were trying to distract yourself. So, um, so that does give a little bit of hope. And I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jennifer. We have really enjoyed sharing your story and um, are so grateful for women like you who are courageous enough to to be so public about so um, such a personal topic. Um, and we just know that sharing the the more stories we can share, the um, the more comfortable and regular we can make this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. I appreciate um, having an opportunity to, to talk to you. Thanks so much. As always, you can find more information about this episode and other episodes on our website at www.downthereaware.com. You can also follow us on social media, Facebook, Down There Aware, Instagram, at Down There Aware, Twitter, at Down There Aware, and also now on Pinterest, Down There Aware. Thanks for listening. Uh